So I just spent a week in retreat with um, a monk named Venerable Analio, who was teaching this time about the Satipatthana teachings, which some of you know as the uh, foundations of mindfulness or the practices that establish mindfulness in our mind. Sometimes, um, this is a little bit of a nuance in the word, actually, is that these are the practices that help mindfulness to become established. And when we do these practices, mindfulness will pervade our mind and become part of our experience much more often and much more clearly. So they're practices that develop mindfulness, basically. Mindfulness is not one thing that you have or don't have, although I guess it can be present or absent, but when it's present, it, um, it changes over time. It deepens, it develops. It's part of the path, so that means it's something that develops. That's what the path does. So I hope you'll see your mindfulness as something that continues to evolve. And we looked very carefully at the exercises that are given in this sutta throughout the week. And I found it so enlivening and also so um, humbling isn't the right word quite, but something like, oh, there's, there's so much here. And, you know, I've read this sutta many times. I've practiced mindfulness for a long time. I'm supposed to be a mindfulness teacher. Um, and yet so much more that can come from looking very carefully in at, those, at these instructions and really doing them in our practice. And so I was inspired today to give that little guided meditation on the space and the consciousness. That doesn't come from the Satipatthana Sutta, but it arises out of the third foundation of mindfulness practice, or it can be seen as related to that, in that... The third domain that's talked about in Satipatthana is mindfulness of mind. And the word is citta in the sutta, which is a combination of mind and heart. That's what it means. But the, in, the exercises are interesting. In particular, it's, it's a fairly short little section, so I'll just, um, I'll just read. So one knows a mind with lust to be a mind with lust. Or one knows a mind without lust to be a mind without lust. And then the same for with anger, without anger, with delusion, without delusion, contracted, distracted, become great, not become great, surpassable, unsurpassable, Concentrated, not concentrated, liberated, not liberated. You don't have to memorize all those, by the way. By the way, Sherry, I think the battery on my unit is going, and that's why it's not... Okay. Uh, so, so what's, you know, what is that all about, really? Have we ever sat down and, and really noticed... Oh, my mind is currently a mind 
without lust. And probably at this moment, I can't see into your mind, but you may not be strongly under the sway of lust at this moment. <laughs> you may not be strongly under the sway of anger at this moment. Because places like this are conducive for that to be the case. And this sutta is, says very simply that this is worth noticing. It's so worth noticing, it's written down as an instruction to notice what is not present in the mind. This is actually very important in our practice because so often we are very much attached to what is there. Like we walk into the room and we see the chairs, the floor, the walls, the Buddha, the people, everything that's there. We want to know what's there. But we don't necessarily see what's not there, like the space. (coughs) Not something not there. Or in our mind, we, we, we spend so much time being aware that we, we snapped at our daughter and then we were depressed and then we got upset in the traffic. And the whole day was a series of failures of being who we wanted to be and what we wanted to be. Or maybe we had some times when we were that and we're happy about that. But Did we ever notice that the entire day we uh, did not fall under the sway of an enormous wave of sexual lust? Or maybe we did, but it wasn't the whole day. You know, so so this is worth noticing, noticing that what's not present. Thich Nhat Hanh says, have you noticed your non-toothache today? (laughs) We're so interested in the aches we do have. Oh, this, this, my operation, this and that. Bob calls it the organ recital. (laughs) How about what's not present? What's not bothering you? What's not even there? And this is, you know, why is this useful? Because, um, Because freedom is in the, is in not, it's in not clinging to anything that's there. So if we train our mind to be with what's there, 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 present, on it, holding on to it, that's the opposite of of the freedom of non-clinging, of allowing things to unfold as they do, of allowing what's not there to be important. Non-clinging, for example. Non-hatred, for example. Because those things are suffering non-suffering. So, it's very useful to take some time to be aware of these just basic dimensions, lust, anger, delusion, distraction, concentration. Is it there? Is it not there? And then the, you know, in meditation, we have even a, a different opportunity to progressively simplify the mind. You know, so we start out maybe aware of forms, aware of the body. Often I guide, let's be aware of the body sitting, um, feeling through the body and relaxing various parts. So that's all about stuff that's there, the form. And then, you know, we could shift to just the spaciousness of the mind, open awareness kind of practice. It's not that nothing has to be there, but you're aware more of the space and stuff comes and goes into the space, like sounds, for example. Sound meditation is very good for this kind of practice because Often it's silent, and then a sound arises within that and then fades. 
And so we can get that sense of there being space or silence or stillness and objects or sound or movement arise within those three still empty dimensions. And then it becomes interesting, since you'll immediately notice that the space is more peaceful than the form, is, you know, why not progressively pacify, tranquilize the mind? So, for example, you may have noticed that the knowing of space is more peaceful than the space, than the perception of space, uh, the perception of knowing. And that's because you've taken out the sense of there's me and there's the space. There's an object. So if you just look at the knowing, the object goes away. It's simpler. It's more calm. And if you follow that all the way, you'll know what the Buddha knew. So being aware of, of what's not present and having some placing some value on spaciousness, on non-clinging, on non-action, on, I'll use the word, emptiness. That's what this points toward. Sometimes we can even sense that experience is empty of a self. It's a very important dimension to explore of emptiness. So it's not that it's not that we don't exist, but we can have a, a sort of non-perception of a solid agent being there. Many of us have experiences like this in moments of flow, doing art, doing sports, uh, music, things like that. Uh, that's, that's an experience where the self drops away, and we like that, right? It's pleasant <laughs> to not have that there. And it's, you know, it's a little different maybe in talking or walking around, but different in concept than being very focused on doing the art or the sport. But um, the feeling, we can tune that same feeling into the mind of there being kind of nobody doing it, nobody that is happening to you. This is also a very, very useful reflection to maintain that as peaceful. The mind will naturally seek peace. (coughs) I think my talk is naturally ceasing. It's really all there is to say. And I wonder if you have any questions or, or comments. I encourage you to try this practice of noticing what isn't there. Alice. Well, um, what my experience has sometimes been that what I really am missing when I am paying attention to what's there. It's, it, the, what I'm paying attention to what's there is usually growling. And what I'm really missing is the experiences of joy and peace 
It is. Um, what you're what you're pointing to. May I elaborate a bit? Okay, I think that's what you were asking. Um, since I'm on this idea of satipatthana, what you're talking about is actually the second foundation of mindfulness. Is the the mindfulness of feeling tone, and that is you know we usually how many have heard the litany the litany pleasant unpleasant neither pleasant nor unpleasant, right? But uh, what you're talking about is the quality of your inner experience, essentially. And we have habits of mind that very strongly encourage us to notice certain things and bring up certain experiences. And often the practice of feeling tone is a great way to get in touch with our habitual ways of relating to things. Because sometimes we don't even notice. Like Andrea Fella talks about time, a time when she was decided to practice feeling tone really got into it more seriously. And the first thing she noticed is that all of the feelings she noticed were unpleasant. <laughs> and she, that was a clue for her that she didn't have a very balanced view because the world always, always has changing feeling tones of pleasant, unpleasant, and neither. It's all over the map, really, once you start looking at it. And so she just had a mental habit of, of going for the unpleasant. And once she brought that more into her awareness, her heart naturally said, this isn't nourishing. Um, let's have a little, it's not real either. It's not realistic. So, um, you know, let's find some balance. And often, uh, one thing that we can find, like one easy place to start, if you happen to have a mind like this also, <laughs> is to start with the simple joy of being aware so noticing, oh, I, you know, like when she realized that most of her experience was unpleasant, like that's what she was noticing, even though that was sort of a humbling, embarrassing thing to realize in some sense, she also felt joy that she knew that. She was like, wow, I'm so glad that I know that, as opposed to not knowing that and just going through my life that way and draining myself all the time of spiritual nourishment. So she was able to find joy in just realizing that. And then it's also quite joyful uh, over time to experience just the natural changing flow of things. Often part of our difficulty is that we, we have reified and solidified things, forms, and believe, or situations, or people, and believe this is how it is. And like opening up to the awareness of, of um, impermanence and inconstancy can actually be a joyful experience, even if what's changing is, you know, pleasant is changing to unpleasant and then back to pleasant. It's not necessarily obeying our ideal world, but the fact that we see it changing, there's something liberating about that, and there's a subtle joy and enjoyment of that, of knowing that flow, of being in touch with that flow. I happen to think that's because we're in touch with the truth. Things do truly change. They're not truly reified. And we can sense, our heart senses, when we're tuning into something that's real and true. How many people have experienced some degree of really strange, but you have to, would have to say joyful experience being around somebody who's dying? Yeah, I see some hands go up. You're in the presence of truth when that's happening. And that's why there's that resonance if the heart is open. It may be a very painful experience to lose that person, and yet there's that sense of, this is it. 
And we can have that all the time in our experience by just being aware that at this moment, this is it. <laughs> and it's, this is how it is. And so that can begin to be a nourishment. And we're very much encouraged in the feeling tone practice to um, incline the mind toward, um, well, not in this, this sutta, but in other suttas, to incline the mind toward these kinds of spiritual joy. They're very nourishing, very important for us. Does that help a little bit, Alice? Yeah. Yeah. In your list of um, anger and lust and so forth, you mentioned concentration. I care to say more about including that. Yeah, so it's in the discourse, um, concentrated and not concentrated to be aware of the mind. My understanding of... So this could apply to a meditation situation where we're developing concentration and we need to have an accurate picture of whether the mind is gathered or not. Um, But I think I'd like to expand the understanding of the word concentrated in that sometimes we can have a sense that concentrated means focused and really directed and narrow just because it can be used that way. Um, but the implication, the, the word is samadhi in Pali, and what those word roots mean is that sam means together, and adi is related to standing. So the things that are standing together, the English word that has those same roots, so it has those roots in Latin, is composure, Calm is together and poses to stand. So one could say that samadhi is composure of the mind. It's probably a better translation. And a mind that's composed, that's quite interesting, right? And so that's a mind that is uh, stable. People who are composed don't freak out. <laughs> it's, a, it's calm, it's balanced. Um, and it also has the implication of, at least samadhi does, of being gathered, in a sense. So that's a little bit more like actually the word concentrated, which means concentric, having a common center. So maybe that's not such a bad translation. But if your mind had a common center, then it doesn't necessarily mean you're narrowly just honed in on that. It just means that all the parts of your mind are aligned with the same intention, aim, it's possible to sit down and we intend to be with our breath. I'm going to meditate and be with the breath. But the body is not having any of that. The body has a knee pain and that's what it's screaming about. And the emotions are worried about that conversation we had yesterday where so-and-so said such-and-such and and what did that really mean and how am I going to respond? Mm -hmm. And our thoughts are all about the birthday party we're going to this afternoon. And so we're not concentric, you know. We're not uh, oriented. Intention, body, mind, and emotions are not unified in some way. And, so now getting to your question, we often don't know that about our mind. And so what this is saying is it's very useful to know how aligned are all the different parts of my being at this moment. And maybe they are, maybe they aren't. The other great thing... If I can make one more point about this sutta, is that it's non-judgmental. It doesn't say, it doesn't say anywhere, with anger, without anger, and then if you find that there's anger, get rid of it. 
<laughs> concentrated, not concentrated. If you're not concentrated, line that stuff up. It doesn't say that. Um, the implication, of course, is that you know, other, you know, we know anger is not a positive, helpful, beneficial state. Um, but if your mind has anger, if at least as soon as you know it, you're actually free of it. As soon as you know you have the anger, you've let go a little bit. That's the aim. This is development of mindfulness, development of knowing what's true. Change, the transformation comes on its own when we know. The problem is that we often don't know. Did that help with your question? Yeah, yeah. The word integrate comes to mind a little bit. Integrate, yeah. It is related. Synchronized somehow. That's a time word. But yeah. Yeah, definitely. Which comes integrity. You get that. Integrity is very much related. This uh, ethical parts of the path. Yeah, I love finding all these connections. And I would say that practice moves us toward being more integrated. In fact, there's a sutta that says, the Buddha is one who says as he does and does as he says. That's why he's called the Buddha. Which is quite an amazing statement, because if that's why he's called the Buddha, we can at least, first of all, forgive ourselves for sometimes not having our actions and speech line up. If that's what characterizes a Buddha, well, okay. But it also points to how difficult that is to really be completely integrated such that everything you say and do is completely aligned. No manipulation, no shading of the truth, no posturing, totally transparent. I see the time is drifting on and folks are having to go, but so is there anything else on your mind? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.